Hi guys. Hi Justin. Hello. Hi Norman. Hi, Hi Atra. So. Hi. Did I said correctly, right? Atra. Atar. Atar. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, welcome to our after talk, which is obviously Thank after you. after all our talks. So, <laughs> and we will be talking. So. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, guys, thank thank you for for your presentations. It was really, really nice. Yeah, I mean, Thanks. I I try I try to catch it everything, but I I need to get up to to my children just to <laughs> to make them sleep <laughs> and not scream. So, but I will definitely like replay it again after when I when I will be editing it. So anyway, so yeah. Okay, cool. I'm sympathetic for that. I have to do that all the time. My kids are sleeping right now. They might wake up and right in the middle of this. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I I lost my keys for like for the for the door, so I cannot lock myself in. So, so there, it's possible that they will be here also. <laughs> oh, perfect. So, how are you, how are you guys doing? Pretty good. It's actually, yeah, I'm doing good. It's actually, uh, almost. Midnight here, so really tired, but yeah, I was doing great. Yeah, perfect. And the how 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 is your uh, situation? Just how is the situation, Justin, in in US? Are you is it is it okay there or? Yeah, it's fine. I think <laughs> uh, we we avoided most of the like bad stuff here in Charlottesville, yeah. um, and in general, we're just. Everybody's just staying at home. It's kind of boring, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say we, we have a surprising number of people just out out in the general in our country who think it's really cool to you know not take this stuff seriously. <laughs> oh yeah, and that's kind of frustrating. Um, but that's part of having a president who also thinks it's cool to not think about it seriously. That's part of it. That is, that is a big part of it, right there. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> May I um, yeah. ask, as a not so good in geography, where which part of is Charlottesville? Part of US? Uh, so we are uh, like probably an hour and a half south of Washington DC. Oh, yeah. um, so right, right in the middle of Virginia. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Although I actually I grew up in um, I well I, I lived for ten years when I was a kid in uh, Lorach in southern germany so i'm oh. i'm not that's why also the name right not already it would yeah. be a german yeah name. it is a german name yeah my all my family is german um but i don't speak any german yeah same for me and i'm living here for four yeah. years <laughs> oh really yeah what's, yeah. Your, what's your uh native language czech Czech, Republic, Czech okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to doubt that language. That one's hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 really hard when you when you are working in like in English company. It's you don't have like kind of pressure to work to learn German and also like, I mean, in Berlin you can sometimes like use, but most of the time you can use the English. Most of the time. Okay. Yeah. 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 I know many people actually who are working in Berlin in some English companies and just don't speak any German since years. Uh, 
common thing. Yeah. Also, most of the um, official, like the, the, the state offices, so most of them can either deal with it if you speak English or your company deals with it, uh, with them for you. So. Yeah. 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 And how is uh, At Atra? <laughs> Sorry. Atra. <laughs> I mean, it's, we can. Okay. See, that's why I said I'm not even trying. Yeah, we can. We can. Yeah, yeah. We can try like my names, like the name game. But maybe like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and how is yeah. how is you are in uh, India, right? Yeah. Yeah. How is it there? Uh, the, um, the situation is not uh, as good uh, here. We have just uh, taken over. I guess. Uh, um, like we are nearing US in case of uh, Delhi uh, cases. Uh, I think we have surpassed US. That as well. Uh, yesterday we had about 91,000 cases here in India. Okay. Uh, the death rate is pretty low, so that's working for us. But otherwise, the situation is really worse. Uh, one of the things is uh, that we have a huge population, about uh, 1.3 billion. So we do have to take that into factor when we are taking the number of cases, because if we are testing that much, then obviously there will be a lot of cases. So uh, community-wise, uh, the government still isn't admitting that it's uh, on the community spread stage. Because compared to the population, uh, about 36, 3.6 million cases aren't that much. So mm. up in that front, we are okay. But I think the situation is not that great. People still aren't following the social distancing norms. So there had been some religious uh, parties and uh, there have been some gatherings uh, all around. Uh, politicians are using this play a lot to get the votes from uh, poor people. So they have been organizing uh, buffets and... Uh, inviting people to eat and uh, pray so that sort of situation has really worsened things for us yeah. but yeah life goes on <laughs> and uh justin how, how is the how is the business like for you you you, you have like yeah. digital agency right you said that's right yeah, yeah. Um, surprisingly it's going pretty well yeah um I don't, it's hard to know, like, do you contribute that to COVID or not? Uh, but I'd say in general, we've probably seen a slight uptick in business overall, uh, which is, you know, positive. So I don't know, like, we're pretty young business for only three years. So it could just be like, you know, the business is growing and doing well, or it, it could have something to do with the current situation. I, I really don't know. <laughs> it's not dramatic either way. It's not like all of a sudden people are coming out of the woodwork to have stuff, you know, be built so or anything. Did you, did you have this sudden moment of complete silence and project cancellations in the beginning? Because that's what we had. Uh, no, we didn't actually. So yeah, right in the beginning, at the very beginning, when everything was starting, um, we probably actually saw a bigger uptick right in that moment. In fact, I think there was only one project that got canceled. Um, and it came back pretty quickly after that too. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the reasons are, <laughs> um, yeah. but overall, life's been okay. I'm thankful for that. Right. That's that's great. Uh, it was a bit different here, I think. So I'm, I'm working actually for a very similar setting. So it's a consultancy, though. It's not an agency, but also about programming. You know, digital consultancy. And we had just like a steep decline in projects right at the beginning. Everyone was canceling everything and everyone was saying, we don't know and so on and so forth. But after a month, roughly things settled rather fast and now we are caught again and everything is kind of normal and even a bit better, but that, I don't know. Yeah, 
same, you know, we don't know if it's COVID or if it's just running well. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Atraf, how, how is how is your freelance? You are a freelancer? Yeah, or... I'm a freelancer. Yeah. So our clients have been uh, more or less the same as last year. Um, usually, uh, whenever uh, I'm like looking for gigs, uh, the number of contacts spike up during uh, July to November, and then they slow down till uh, next year, April, and then they pick up. So this year, what happened due to COVID, uh, contacts really slowed down from February to March, and then from April, uh, work really started popping. Well, big companies really weren't hiring, so it was usually uh, small pop and shops, uh, restaurants that were uh, looking to make business during this COVID time, and mostly that. So yeah, most of my clients are from the US and uh, UK, and uh, the situation over there was pretty bad during that time. So uh, most of my products got uh, affected because of that. But uh, apart from that, it has been more or less the same as last year. Yeah, so, so so basically, I'm I'm the only one who is working at the like in the full time job. <laughs> yeah. So. I guess Norman was also in uh, A2B engineer. Yeah, he he worked he worked there. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean it's I used to, yeah. ancient history, basically. <laughs> it's yeah, like two years. Three almost. Three years. Three, three years. Yeah, three years. Yeah. 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 Three years. yeah. 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 We we right now like working for like we have like the short time like this Kurzarbeit thing, and. We basically, from from the first September, we are back like on the 45 percent of like normal work, but still, yeah. still, like as we are basically doing like the we are in the like tourism and like this kind of travel industry, it hit uh, hit us pretty hard, so it's really yeah. it's starting to go up, but it's. It will take some time to to recover. So, I mean, we we are still still alive, <laughs> like as a company, and hopefully, yeah, as 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 like uh, we we are like more focused on the on the like the ground travel, like trains, buses, and like this. So this like goes first. Like the planes are like really bad, like like behind. So. So, and uh, like in the in the region, like in the in the European region, like the trains and buses, like really starting to like to be like normal as before. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but still, it's kind of it's it it sucks kind of because um, you kind of lose the kind of contact with the with the people and the with the projects like in, in, inside the company, kind of right, yeah. because. We, I mean, well, last half year, I like it's a, almost half year, right? It's yeah, March. Almost. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like we started working like the like uh, March and April, like for just twenty percent. So it was like eight hours hours a week. So you kind of started to missing the work actually. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. and the other side. If you want to start to do like freelancing or something like that, it wasn't like really good time to start freelancing. Like, yeah, <laughs> so you basically just are you are home and with kids, yeah, which is fine for like first month, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then then after that it's like it's starting to be really, <laughs> yeah, oh man, 
you know, you that, that's crazy. That's the worst part of this whole thing is just having to be home all the time, all the time. I'm in my basement right now. It's <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I miss human beings. <laughs> actually, uh, this uh, time actually had a lot of impact on my productivity. So initially, when the thing started, we were all at home. Uh, I was like, I have so much time to do a lot of stuff. I'm not traveling anymore and not going anywhere. So let's learn something. Let's build some cool projects. Maybe start a new company. <laughs> all of those crazy ideas. Uh, and I was like, uh, okay, let's do that. And what happened usually was I was procrastinating a lot, and that habit sort of built <laughs> into me. So like for the past month or so, I have been working really low, uh, about like the same as what you were in the initially. Uh, so yeah, but uh, one of the benefits of uh, freelancing or contracting is that I control the number of hours I work and the work that I do. So I can maybe take some time off or uh, slow down for a while and then pick up once again when I am okay with that. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 I, I, I know that feeling because yeah, I also like, I mean, I started some projects and I, I'm working on something like new. I, I use Next for the for the first yeah. time and uh, Tailwind and like with the with the Strapi as a as a backend, like yeah. So it's it's really nice, and it's like kind of like it's fixed like fit together this kind of like free fit. Yeah. So it's it's really nice to to use that but then like you have like oh doom eternal is is on let's <laughs> let's try it <laughs> or, or or like death trending is live it's it's on pc so let's try it and like yeah you know, yeah <laughs> yeah so it's it's sometimes really really hard to concentrate for the work yeah i mean even like if i i'm living in the apartment like it's like 65 square meters so it's not like it's like three bedrooms, so with three kids, it's not <laughs> you, you. You cannot <laughs> escape, kind of. Yeah. No. <laughs> I also started playing a lot of games, so <laughs> yeah. I just started was, uh, fifty thousand of... side projects as you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just I've been playing a lot of CS:GO and Valorant. Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Justin. What 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 was your like um, motivation to start the uh, view formulate? Why did you start it? Yeah, good <laughs> question. Um, okay, so there there's actually another package out there um, which is now renamed View Formulate Legacy, which technically was public, but I, it was not published publicized or anything, and. Its entire purpose was to get um, get form data into Vuex. <laughs> um, so I wanted people to be able to type into a form, and the Vuex store would just magically populate with the form. It was going to be great. Built it, and um, we used it on several sites in production. And then, kind of like realized over time that my least favorite part of the library was the Vuex part of it. <laughs> I mean, I like UX, but the, the part that the reason we kept grabbing for it was because it came with all of these inputs kind of out of the box, you know, and the API for composing the forms was so nice. Um, the annoying part was that you had to wire it up to UX. So I just kind of started thinking to myself, like, surely other people are frustrated by the form experience. 
um, and just the amount of repetition that goes into building these things. And and I again, I really don't want to talk bad about any of the libraries that are pre-existing, but I also did not I did not uh, find a home for myself in like Bufy or Viewadate or any of these other libraries because I didn't want all the other stuff that came with them. And I didn't find a home on the the like smaller package side. So like Vlidate or, or yeah, uh, Vvalidate or Vlidate. Um, like those are great validation libraries, but I wanted a cleaner API to compose with. And so I decided, why don't I rip the form, uh, the, the good things out of this early version and just create you know a, a completely reimagined 2.0. Uh, with you formulate and still have all the validation, everything. So that way, it, it is the easiest way I could imagine to build forms. Um, and so, yeah, I, I built that out um, during the course of you know a project I was working on, and I published it. Uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly when it was. It was early March, I think. And it was just like I wrote up, I wrote up some docs and, and my maintainer. Sorry, what's that, Norman? You're you're a little frozen there, Norman. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good it's a good look for him though. That's all right. I'll keep going. Maybe he can bounce back in. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can, you can, can. Um, yeah. So. So uh, I published it and wrote up some early docs, and Andrew uh, like read through them and helped edit them a little bit, and posted it up there, kind of like not thinking much about it. <laughs> and he he went over to like the Vue.js Reddit um, sub subreddit and just like posted a link to it on there, and people started like getting really excited about it. It was we were kind of shocked, you know. Um, I think the two-way model binding on the form was maybe like a, a pretty innovative idea that got people excited that you could write back into your form at a kind of a, almost a global level. And so, it, yeah, it started picking up some traction. And at that point, we thought, well, maybe we should like flesh this out and actually add like the features that we want to have in here. And so, over the next couple of months, we pushed out a lot of uh, version bumps. And added pretty much, pretty much all of the like important features that we wanted to have early on. We still have a giant backlog of really cool stuff we want to do to it. Um, but you know, in that early phase, I think the idea started to prove itself out that this is a good way to build forms, kind of component first um, and whatnot. So yeah, I mean that was the that was the genesis. So Justin, uh, one of the things I noticed when using Vue Formulate, and you talked uh, about this right now as well, uh, that um, it has two-way winding, but uh, the inputs, uh, they don't really have any data unless and until you start typing to them. So if uh, there's an input, um, like two inputs, they won't even have any keys inside the model object unless and until I start typing to them and put some data inside of that. And one of the issues that I ran into uh, with that was when I was copying some data from the API, and just uh, providing that to the model uh, object, it couldn't detect the inputs. So the password would say the confirmation does not match, even when I wasn't providing it any input at all. And we talked about that on Discord as well. So one of the ideas yeah, yeah. was to uh, 
provided uh, two empty keys uh, that had the name of the inputs, and that would make sure that the inputs are actually empty and not validate them over again. So yeah, I was curious yeah, like why uh, that decision was made to not include the keys when the inputs are being iterated. So there's a couple reasons why. One is we don't know the type of data that's going to be coming out of an input. Um, like if you think about it holistically, we don't know. So you might have like a text field, the default yeah. is going to be an empty string. But that's not always the case. And so we need to make sure if we're going to mutate the global object that we're mutating it with the right type of data. Because you could create a custom input and the data type that gets pushed back could be you know, an actual number, like a, a proper JavaScript number or some sort of an object, um, like groups is an example of that, right? So like if you have an empty group, um, we, we don't initialize the key. And so once you start typing, the group is able to dictate to the form, I am, you know, an array with an object inside of me. Um, it does have some downsides. The other, the other positive is it means we don't ever mutate the object, or we we try really hard not to. We don't try not to ever mutate the object when a form loads. So if you're like if you have an initial form object, yeah, you want to populate the form with that form object without modifying it at all. And if you yeah. have some keys in there, it's going to push those back up into the initial object. Yeah. That makes um, sense. Yeah, so it is It is a little bit, it, I mean, like, the uh, the password is one where it's like, yeah, it's kind of an edge case that makes sense. So, you know, I would slap a required on one of those and then make the validation fail or something like that in order to, to make that user experience better. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like, it does make sense, like, uh, if you were to, uh, if the forms would have to have some state, empty state, and what if the API was uh, pulling it from the somewhere else, and you have the data, and the mutation is done on the object, so that data is all gone. And now what do you do about that? So in that cases, uh, this sort of implementation actually makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense, but there is a use case where you would want it to pre-populate an object. Um, I mean, what we could do there, I suppose, is have a flag on the input that says, like, push an initial value back up or something. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, uh, would it be convenient uh, to implement that sort of thing? And would it actually make sense for most of the users? Because um, when someone is populating data initially, um, why would they want to depopulate it from the API? And, like, if they were just using yeah. uh, populated data, they would just use the API data, not have the form populate it for them. So in that case, I don't really think it makes sense. And if like someone wants to populate the model, they can always provide an empty string or something like that with the data, the value, and that could also pre-populate the form and work the same way as you would want to. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yep. And that is how I solved my edge case. I'm basically providing it empty strings, and that would make sense. OK. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm back, by the way. Yay. I'm happy that I didn't okay. have to reconnect and make Yuzi mad. <laughs> okay. uh, um, I actually had a question. I wanted to, oh, yeah, right. What is uh, Braid actually doing? Is there any specialization of the projects you're doing? Um, 
So we're, we're an agency, but I think we're a little bit different because we're all engineers. <laughs> nice. Good stuff. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a different, I mean, I've been part of other agencies and, and every agency I've ever been a part of, um, the top structure is design or art direction. And it's kind of like a, like design is top heavy down. Um, so what we wanted to do was create an agency that was engineering first but not just uh, an engineering shop. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of companies out there that are just a, a collection of engineers and they'll subcontract for other people and, um, you know, create whatever those people need. You know, you contact them and say, hey, you know, we're building this app. We need you to, we need you to do the engineering for the back end or something like that. Um, but we actually think the design is like super important you know, maybe, maybe the most important feature, like in a way, like the engineering just has to work, <laughs> but the design is what's going to actually sell the product. Um, so we wanted to value design as part of what we do, but also in the life cycle of a project, the design is like, it is like a tiny sliver of the project. You know, it is, it is such a small yeah. piece compared to the amount of work that happens when you're actually engineering. So what we decided to do is just, you know, have a bunch of, you know, really badass engineers and uh, outsource our design. And then here's another like little truism that we found is the best engineers in the world are usually employed by uh, companies, right? Not always, but usually. So like Facebook, for example, can pay three, $400,000 a year for an engineer. Yeah. And so a lot of people go work at companies like that. Um, and, and the same is not true for design. So the best designers in the world are frequently freelancers. Right? Yeah, so we have not at Facebook. But really like a lot of the, a lot of the best designers that you're going to run across are, they are at, uh, they're doing their own things, you know, running their own agencies or just freelancing or whatever. And so agencies can't tap into them because they've hired their own designers that they need to use, right? Otherwise they don't make money on their, <laughs> they, you know, if they're paying people salaries and they're not using their design, that's bad. Um, mm. So we decided let's not hire any designers. Let's go make relationships with all of the best designers we can find. Um, and we'll just, we'll outsource our design work to them and then we'll do all of the engineering and because the engineering is the long tail on the project, we'll actually be with our clients for much longer than the designer ever needs to be with our client. Um, and amazingly, when we tell people that strategy, like when we tell clients that strategy, it resonates with them immediately. If they've ever been part of a build with an agency, they get that right away because they, they went through the process of going through this design implementation and then for a year or two years, just interfacing with the developers. And sometimes, you know, the developers are leaving in that cycle, they're going off and, you know, getting hired elsewhere or whatever, and they're kind of left with the bag. They've got a pretty design and really poor execution on the design. So we just want to go really high on the execution, really good engineering, um, but still have design be an important part. So that's kind of the, the idea for, for our company, for Braid. Um, what that actually pans out to be is like, we just build websites and, you know, really good web apps. <laughs> um, 
but that's kind of what what a lot of people in our space do, right? Yeah. Uh, what 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 is your like usual tech stack for the websites? Websites. So, if Obviously, it's just like, uh, yeah, we use we use view, we use view. <laughs> yeah, we use Vue.js mostly. Um, if we can if we can have our pick, which sometimes we can't, but if we can have our pick, we use view Vue.js on the front end. We usually have a Nuxt uh, stack running, um, and then some kind of backend. Frequently, it's Laravel, um, but not always. But we very rarely build anything with Laravel from a, um, like we don't use Blade or any of the backend rendering. We just we just ha use it as an API, mm. basically. Yeah. 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 But Laravel is really, it's really nice because it lets you, it lets you scaffold an API so quickly um, and kind of, you know, have all of your requests and validations and, and things like that um, much quicker than I've ever found on a node backend where you have to pick the pieces and parts, you know, you have to decide like, I want, I want this body parser with this validator, you know, with this server, right. and I'm going to cobble it all together. And those decisions, like every time I, every time I start building an app, a backend with node, I spend at least a day or two days of my time deciding which of the tools I'm going to use, because you know since the last time I've done it, the, the world has evolved, and now there now there's you know, Koa and there's you know, Sales, and, <laughs> and I've got to like reevaluate which is the right tool for me to use. So, um, yeah, yeah Ma Ma Matthias, Matthias just wrote in the chat that Ruby on Rails is also very, that's very true. So yeah. Laravel. Ruby on Rails or um, Django, all those full-fledged frameworks are definitely yeah. very. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm using like for backend, like also Rails, but not like you. The thing is that you can use like just like Rails, like for API, without the like the rendering yeah. the stuff. So it's really yeah, exactly. and it's really easy. Also, like the scaffold API, it's like, and you have everything set up like in, I don't know, yeah. one, one hour you have basically functional API. Yeah. So it's mm, yeah. yeah. That's pretty great. And there are really, really good battle test libraries for all those frameworks. Yeah. yeah. Especially around authentication and stuff, which is usually the hardest part, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I had another question in mind but forgot about about it when we started talking about frameworks. <laughs> Uh, maybe it comes back. Atur, what are you? What is your uh, framework stack of choice? Um, my framework stack of choice. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I usually uh, work with you, uh, mostly. Uh, whenever I'm like uh, contracting, I actually don't work like how most freelancers do. I'm I will usually uh, work for a longer term for let's say 12 to 18 months on a single project with our engineering team. So I would uh, usually uh, lead the, uh, the content whole project. I would hire developers who would be juniors to me, mentor them so that they can take on the project after I leave. And I'll usually work with designers who are uh, either full-time employees of the company or other freelancers. And usually there's a backend team already set up. So I'm working with organizations they have that have really solid backends but haven't really improved on their front-end experience. So because of that, they lose on a lot of conversions because UX really needs to be tweaked for the optimal user 
cognitive behavior so that the user you know where the user is going to click when you have the call to action button and you also need to track all of that to make products that scale and have high engagement because that really <laughs> translates to dollars and dollars from it. so anyways um that's uh, what my mindset when i go into working on something and i get to get a feel of word on what to use or not to use so most of the cases uh, it's single page applications um built on view i would um, maybe i earlier i used to use a lot of bem styling so i would write all my css by my own and put them into different classes and use them it was uh, nice i guess justin also tweeted about this once when you're using uh, your separate style sheets that are separate from your markup it's really easy to switch the whole styling of the application without really worrying about uh, what's where so i can maybe uh, swap the same thing uh, for on the project and use that just in the styling altogether and would still work because i have the business logic all separate from the styling so that was one of the great things but then i used it started using tailwind and tailwind uh, really sped up the development process for me so something that i would uh, spit out maybe in 4 hours i was able to do it in 1 hour with tailwind and that was a huge benefit for me and then of course uh, with perch and for css it was easy to control the build size of the css that i was outputting so uh, more often than not uh, my sites would score above 90 above 95 and in some cases even 100 uh, when uh, taking light off course because uh, that is really a very important aspect for me because each extra second that the user is spending on an application is decreasing your conversions by a huge margin and if your conversions are decreasing you're not doing something like right. so it really helped me uh, control my build size uh, control my css and make sure that everything is being done in an optimized and a well organized manner so i started using tailwind and what i actually do is i uh, still use style sheets with that so if there are global styles i would encapsulate them into further classes and use them so in my uh, like example that i talked about in the previous talk uh, i was using text or a class that encapsulates the uh, exercise the color and the uh, opacity and emphasis all together in the single class and i would use that everywhere that i want to and i would maybe in cases like when you are putting css in javascript uh, where they you cannot really specify pseudo variants and uh, a string of class usually works so what i would do is i would create a global string of classes and i would just apply that everywhere that i want to. that was like what i was doing in case of modules and uh, view formulate as well so when i have a schema and there is a lot of links i'd have to repeat links somehow so what i would do is uh, just change the link string for that so in addition for having the global classes i would also append the link styles to the classes and that would work automatically mm. so i do try to keep a separate approach from the markup as much as i can but then uh, some things uh, that are encouraged to be in the markup that have to do so text styles and modifications that are deviating from the global styling that have to go into the markup and i really put that I'm really against uh, putting styling in style blocks, the scope styling. So I don't really do a lot of that. I avoid that as much as possible because uh, I usually do chunk uh, optimization. So um, most of my components and views are different chunks, and you have different CSS outputted as well when you are doing scope styling. So now two modules are being sent over, and uh, that doesn't really look so nice to me. And when I build uh, my projects, it's a lot of chunks, a lot of unrelated stuff. and uh css also blows up uh, when you are using small uh, modules so if you have a relatively long file it would be compressed better and that would uh, output uh, in a nice way but you have uh, maybe two or three lines 
that is going to add up as a chunk and you have some uh, bad size issues of so that really i hate that so i stay away from that as much as possible that's what you're saying yeah yeah it makes a lot of sense i guess yeah what what do you guys think about tailwind <laughs> <laughs> i just told you i like it it's amazing for me i think justin has a strong opinion against that yes <laughs> and talking about that so yeah, I kind of unabashedly tweeted about it not too long ago. Um, I mean, I, I'm not opposed to Tailwind. I agree it makes you go faster, which is really valuable, right? And so, uh, you know, we have like a really big project that we're, we're spinning up right now that's going to be going for the next, you know, nine months or something. And it has a big UI portion that's user end facing, and it has a big portion that's for the admin. And we're toying around with the idea of using Tailwind for the admin portion, just because there's so many screens to crank through, so many forms and stuff like that, um, that Tailwind would be a good fix there. And, and critically, it probably will never change. Mm. Um, so to me, that's probably the thing that I am, I don't know, I'm, I'm old school, I guess. <laughs> like I, I actually enjoy uh, the, the concepts of CSS and the cascade and, you know, trying to craft really, yeah. really good CSS that's, you know, alphabetical and, and, you know, just like good in every way and as we're using every way, but it's very time intensive and it's expensive to do. Yeah. And the end result can be tremendous, yeah. um, if you're willing to spend the time, but yeah. it does it does cost something in terms of uh, mental overhead and time of execution. So the front end, the end user facing product, there's zero chance we will use Tailwind on that. Um, yeah. And largely that's because that front end is gonna be highly designed, right? We're gonna make it literally pixel perfect mm. to the design comps. Um, in fact, Andrew has a little package called View Griddle um, which allows us to do, you know, like grid, grid layouts. And when we're building, yeah. we'll have, we'll have illustrator pulled, my hands got paint all over them. <laughs> we'll have illustrator pulled up with, uh, not illustrator, um, uh, like Figma or sketch pulled up with the, the front end that we're building. And we will literally make sure it's not even one pixel off the design. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, okay. And so yeah. when, when we go to that level of detail, things like like Tailwind just don't make sense, yeah. right? Uh, but on the admin where it's like, I need a lot of form inputs, I don't really care if it's 13 or 14 pixels between them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, then, we'll, you know, we'll just allow it to, to cruise right through. Um, so, yeah, like I had a project last week, which is why I tweeted about this where we had built this whole front end uh, site three years ago. Um, that was, it was an e-commerce site built with Nuxt and Laravel as a backend and it was completely from scratch. Like we built every shred of e-commerce on that thing. Um, and it's a really cool site. It's done great for the client, good ROI and everything. And the client had this really cool idea of like, well, what could I, you know, I have, I have my store, could I create sub stores almost like Shopify for different brands and let them have like their own theme, but I still want to be able to use the same, you know, page components in the CMS we built for them. 
Mm. Can I do that? And, and I was like, yeah, we can totally do that. We're literally just going to swap the style sheets and it'll be a piece of cake. And as I'm going through the process of building that, I'm thinking about Tailwind and I'm like, this would be insanity <laughs> if I was trying to do this with Tailwind, right? If that front end was built with Tailwind, um, the amount of rework that would have to happen would be tremendous, like absolutely tremendous. Um, but those use cases are very rare. And I admit that they're very, very rare. The number of times <laughs> I actually have to do that is very, very low. And so I'm not at all opposed to people choosing that as a tool, which is why Vue Formulate supports it kind of as like a first-class citizen, right? I literally wrote an article about how to use Tailwind and Vue Formulate. Um, and so I'm not opposed to it. It's just not the way that I build front-end websites most of the time. I so agree with you, everything basically, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, I'm a, a fan of Tailwind, so far that it makes many things easier, especially easier to streamline. And then if you build up your classes and so on, you can basically replace that whole idea of creating a component just for styling. You just do that in CSS with Tailwind, which is really nice. But as soon as you have a not so standard design, it is so much better to really, really handcraft everything. And I'm also personally really not a fan of all those UI kits and everything. I'm really the one who's usually handcrafting everything yeah. as much as he can. Um, not alphabetically, though. I have categories, <laughs> but I'm sorting them as well. <laughs> but yeah, so I totally agree with you with this. But I, I guess Tailwind is a very good tool for all those more or less standard layouts, and I guess 95% of the time. Yeah. Yeah, I think I definitely like for the for the administration it's it's really it might be really nice and for like I I use it for like small website like press website and it was you don't you don't need anything like some like like special UI or something like that so right. you just need to basically style couple couple text couple photos and that's it like you don't need anything special so it's 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 really fast then and i'm 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 kind of lazy i i don't i don't like right css at all and lazy developer yeah that's, really that's weird right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean it's sometimes it's starting to like kind of like kind of bloating the code totally like that's the when when you have lots of lots of like uh, the tailwind yeah. styles and like like this but I mean, I, I'm getting used to it because it's kind of, it, sometimes you have like bloated like template, but you don't have any styles. So, so it's, <laughs> you know, what does make me excited though is, uh, and I, and I hope somebody out there does this, <laughs> um, it is with view formulate. The cool thing is like the class declarations, you can declare all of the classes for every input type in uh, your configuration options. You don't yeah. have to, you can do it at an input by input level, but you can configure all of them in your configuration options. That's nice. And all of your configuration options can be overridden or applied with a plugin, which means yeah. if you're a Tailwind user, you could write Tailwind themes yeah. That are just like NPM installed, you know, awesome 
dark mode theme for view formulate and just like one line plugin and you've installed it for everything. Um, so like that concept, I think could be really, really cool if people, if people pick it up and, and start running with it. That's like one, one area that I'd love to see view formulate grow is, and like, frankly, I'll probably have to lead the charge unless, you know, someone else picks it up is, uh, writing plugins for it. Cause there's, yeah. You know, new input types, you know, like one of the big advantages of using something like Beaufy and Beautify is they have a lot of these synthetic elements, mm. um, you know, autocompletes and tag lists and, you know, all of that other kind of stuff. And those are really, really helpful because nobody ever wants to write them. They're such a pain to write. <laughs> such a pain to write. Oh, man. That's so true. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Actually, um, like... Um... About uh, this particular use case, I have been uh, working on a plugin. What it does is like it takes in your Figma styling or Adobe XD styling, and it would output that as JSON or like directly to tailwind.config.js. So you have all your colors, your spacing utilities already predefined from your design file, and any changes of the design file can be synced to that particular tailwind config. And one of the things that maybe could be added to that is we can pass those classes directly to ViewFormulate and would auto apply to all of the inputs. So in case I want to swap something out, I can directly just change it into the design file and that would update my schemas and all of my forms as well. Mm-hmm. And that is like one of the cool things that uh, would suit this use case. Regarding like yeah, pixel perfect design, uh, I have I love doing pixel perfect design and I'm kind of an OCD about that. Uh, if a single pixel is off, it kicks me out. And uh, what I usually do is uh, when I'm working with design, uh, I make sure that the designer is working on a, a standard grid, um, being uh, 16 pixels, 8 pixels, uh, or even 4 pixels, uh, whatever it is, it has to be standard. And I'll make my spacing utilities around that. So um, whatever um, config that Tailwind gives me, I override that with my spacing utilities. So when I'm uh, writing in my mockups, uh, my styles are always pixel perfect and nothing goes here and there. And one of the benefits of this is like when I'm writing CSS by my own, if I change the spacing from there to be 24 pixels, and if I want to update that, I basically have to do a search and refactor to update it everywhere. If I'm not using uh, repetitive classes. In case of Tailwind, I would just change the config and it would auto apply everywhere. And I don't really have to worry about anything at all. And the Tailwind config itself is something that is really powerful for me. I get that uh, a lot of people don't like uh, for the styling aspect of it. Like it really cannot do complex uh, animations and CSS stuff because it also lacks a lot of properties which are standard to CSS and like our filters. Uh, Tailwind doesn't support filters and uh, maybe advanced gradient features. I think uh, from uh, 1.8.3 they have added gradients, uh, but that's about it. There's still a lot of CSS properties that are still lacking and uh, that we would love to see on uh, Tailwind. But um, I override that anyways, and I extend the library so much that it's basically me uh, creating my utilities for me, and I use them in each and every project. So once I've written them for one project, I can replicate them to the next one, and the other one, and the other one, and it just throws into a separate UI kit for me. And that advantage is huge. Yeah, that's also basically from my point of view. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's. I think you're doing it right. Yeah, <laughs> that, 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 yeah that sounds like uh, the right way to use something like that. Yeah. It's the um, I think it's about one and a half here, so just cutting. 
Yeah. Yeah, I definitely don't want anybody out there to think like I'm anti-tailwind because I'm I'm not. <laughs> okay, I, I think I'm, we could we could clarify that by now. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just also anti-tailwind. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally uh, see your point. Really, um, it's also really you know all these people who always jump on some specific te technology and then just put it as the holy grail of whatever. Um, we have this a lot, right? And all the time something new comes up and then it's suddenly the new holy grail for everything and so on. And yeah. it just never was the case, right? It never was that one thing that is the best hit for everything. It was always some specific use case and so on. And just, I don't know if people yeah. will ever understand that or if it will be always like this or if you have to get old to understand that. I guess <laughs> it's the last thing, but... Yeah, it's, it's the same as Tailwind. It's really, really good for many things, but it's definitely not the holy grail of CSS, right? Yeah. For me, okay. it is, but... <laughs> because I'm lazy and I don't... Know. Just... Fair, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, just... I mean, for, for if, cool. if I would, will do some, like, pixel perfect, I, I wouldn't use it, like... But, yeah. <laughs> but I'm I'm afraid with because I'm not like this kind of obsessive of pixels so, and I'm not designer and so I'm just like like simple engineer. <laughs> just a simple man. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Will Will is asking on the chat if if anyone tried Qua Quasar. It never seems to get mentioned much so. I only read about it. I never used it. How, how do you pronounce it? Is it Quasar or is it Kazar? I have no idea. Or, uh, it should be Quasar. Quasar. Yeah. Quasar. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw uh, one tutorial on that a few years ago. And the guy actually uh, used a lot of bad practice on, on it. So I remember commenting on it. And one oh, of the, shit, issues with the website is horrible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for interrupting, but the website has yeah. a background that is rotating. So you're just, <laughs> whoa, I'm, I'm sorry. Just go on. Yeah. So I kind of uh, went off uh, on the framework that particular day, but um, I guess it has improved a lot now, though I haven't really used the framework. And I don't really like uh, these kind of frameworks because uh, just like Justin said, I like to do things by my own hand. I like to build my own inputs, my own uh, tables, everything by myself because I, when these things uh, run into issues, you don't really want to end up debugging them and then contributing to their code base and then making sure that that gets fixed so that you can move forward. So, um, yeah, in that case, I haven't really tried that. But it's interesting, nevertheless. I will, yeah, I will say this uh, to have a strong opinion. I, my opinion on Tailwind is wishy-washy. My opinion on material design is I don't like it. <laughs> I just like straight up do not like material design stuff. Um, not that Quasar is specifically material design, but I'm not a fan. I'm just not a fan of material design, period. Yeah. I think it's weird. So, yeah. I hate the like little bubble thing when you click on it. I don't like it's it. It's also breaking <laughs> so many things and makes, yeah, I agree. Yeah. What I'm, is your I'm opinion on Beautify? Of Beautify? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, my number one gripe is that it's material design. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you can swap that up, but um, I think it's I think it's a I think it's a solid framework. Um, yeah, I have not reached for it as often, 
like if I have to reach for one of these frameworks, I usually end up going for Bufy. Um, and Bufy the reason, yeah, it's just like lower level, and it's basically just Bulma with some UI components. And yeah. of the like, you know, Material UI, Bootstrap, all of those kind of like pre-baked CSSE things, that's the one that I kind of can stomach the most. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that being said, that I haven't crazy. used Tail I haven't used Tailwind UI yet. Um, and yeah, right. I don't, also I don't really know what's there, honestly. Um, but that might be that might be something I would check out. I don't know. Um, yeah, because I, I I like don't like I don't like Bootstrap at all. Um, yeah. This is just I mean I'm talking personal preference here, right? I'm not saying anything bad about Bootstrapper people. I'm just not a fan. I'm not a fan of a lot of those things. Um, and so the idea of using Tailwind to me is actually much more attractive than the idea of using something like Bootstrap, yeah. um, because it's like. It, bootstrap's not semantic anyway, so you might as well opt in for the power of something like Tailwind that's lower level if you're going to go for yep. you know something to speed up your development. So yeah, if there was a good framework that was built on on Tailwind for stuff, I probably would opt for that. But either way, all of them to me are only useful if you're building uh, parts of an application that closed audiences see, right? Like that only admins are going to see or only, you know, authorized logged in users are going to see or something like that, because you, getting design language to conform to a pre-existing framework is incredibly hard. Yeah. Right. And so that, I mean, that's, that's one of the, the things about me formulate is I like, I almost didn't want to write a default theme for it because I don't want people to be confused about it being the way that forms are supposed to look. It doesn't. It's supposed to not say anything about the way forms are supposed to look. Um, the default theme is really just there to help you understand how things can look. <laughs> yeah. One of the issues I had with Unify uh, was that it was bloated. Like whenever I would uh, build the project, sometimes Unify would blow up to, let's say, 1.6 MBs, and that would really hurt a lot of performance for me so uh like yeah bloated uh frameworks most of the time uh bootstrap beautify i don't like them for that um the beautify is also very looking like be this be that be this be that and that really um messes my brain up and also like uh the amount of code that you're writing for beautify is more than what you would end up writing if you were to make something similar custom made because it has all these attributes if you want to even customize width and height, you have to use the prop for that. And what is the point of customizing width and height with JavaScript when you can do that with CSS? And um, like the design language that Beautify follows, it's not that great to me, that appealing to me. So most often than not, like almost every time I would end up destructuring the components, styling them with deep selectors when they would not work and then uh, making the thing work somehow. Mm. And then I have to stick with the grid to make things responsive or beautify, then the, you would have spacing issues. So it was really difficult to build something quickly with beautify that was also pixel perfect and would also conform to the design that was specified to me. So it ended up being counterintuitive to what 
it was supposed to be and so for those reasons i didn't really stuck with that and bufa is really nice uh, one of the reasons is uh, because it's very light but then uh, it implements grid in a different way than uh, the the framework too i guess it's use columns for everything so that was a bit different for me so for that reason i didn't really use that uh, also so most of the time i'm just using tailwind and that was um by the way i think behind razor um is a bit more actually than just front end uh framework right or like css library and so on uh because yeah, it also allows you to do these cross platform not exactly but code of yeah. apps and so on yeah it can package apps into different platforms yeah yeah did anyone have experience with apps like this doing like something vue.js based on uh, as a mobile app or whatever Yeah, we yeah. launched some PWAs uh, for Google Play Store. So it was basically packaging the PWA into <laughs> like with Android Studio. Sorry. And, uh, <laughs> Play Store, and uh, similarly with uh, Microsoft Store. So that worked out well for that. But then if you push something like that to the Apple App Store, <laughs> they kick you out, and it doesn't really work. So you have to use oh. native components. Yeah, because they are very anti-web applications uh, being used as native applications. so they don't really support a lot of features that you would have in an application and suddenly everything would stop working uh, so that you have to keep that in mind and um, with the iap uh, you get really restricted to what kind of applications that you are selling so if it's a food delivery application uh, that would work well if it's an e-commerce application you could get past iap because uh, there is an exclusion for that but if you are selling a service let's say it's a saas product then that really has to be because you have to pay apple's 30% commission and that means that you have to do all of transactions throughout the application so you have to rewrite all of that stuff again for apple and that really mm-hmm. yeah we have one that's going through the app store right now actually it's i mean it's already been out there um it's called uh not not okay app it's basically for uh its tagline is it's okay to not to be not okay um so it's like a almost like a mental health kind of thing and it's basically just a button that you push this is a client of ours not our idea it's basically a button you push and then it sends out a, a pre programmed text message to like five trusted contacts that's like hey here's my location you know i'm not okay and so the idea is you know people will you know who people who have like you know some mental health concerns or something like that can pull the app out hit a button and not like you know apple already has something like that but it calls the police um and yeah. more like you know i'm i'm not feeling well for whatever reason please come help me <laughs> um well hi i just wanted to coke sorry yeah <laughs> uh one button so yeah that one is done with view and it's wrapped in cordova which is the worst thing ever it's awful yeah. the whole okay <laughs> it's it's just terrible i would never if i was going to do it all over again i would have never built it that way like the only advantage the only advantage is that you can have a single code base that's like web wrapped and that is yeah. a big advantage which is why a huge number of people do it but mm. it makes good. it so horrible i never used it so i can't I don't have any opinion. 
Well, the ecosystem is is very poor and it's very confusing because um, Cordova is an open source project, but it's actually Adobe PhoneGap. Um, so like a, Adobe Cordova, I think might be Apache sponsored or something, but like Adobe's PhoneGap application is kind of like weirdly the owner. So there's a PhoneGap CLI and there's a Cordova CLI and the commands are basically exactly the same. So you're never quite sure you know, what you should be running or what you shouldn't be running. And then all of the native features, it's really cool how they implement it. So like, let's say you want a native feature like a location or to send a push uh, push message or something like that. You do, you do a Cordova, like Cordova is also like a package manager. So you do like a Cordova install push notifications or something like that. And they have plugins written for different native features but a lot of the plugins are just like community sponsored. So like our app did um, in-app purchasing and uh, the, the ability to do in-app purchasing is somebody's GitHub out there and there were problems with it, <laughs> you know? And it's like, well, it just doesn't, it's just not gonna work, you know? Like that, those whole, that whole feature set isn't gonna work. So we'd have, you know, hundreds of lines of code just to like catch those like weird edge cases around things that weren't working. Yeah. Um, it, it's super, it's super frustrating. And frankly, there's a lot of black magic if you're a web developer that happens between like where your view code is and compile builds. And if something happens on the compile side, um, like I've, I've written some iOS apps in Swift but I've never written anything in Android using, you know, Android Studio. And so if there's problems in the Android build, I, don't, I mean, I just start Googling for answers, which feels really uncomfortable to me, you know? Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think if I was going to do it over again, I'd go with something like React Native. And there's a um, native script I heard should be really like mitigating uh, lots of those problems, but as you know, I'm just um, yeah, I've heard other people said, so I have no idea. Yeah, have I've you guys native. tried Vue Native though? I'm sorry. Have you guys tried Vue Native? Vue Native. I no, have. Is it is it alive? <laughs> Again, like um, basically a wrapper on uh, React Native, I guess. I haven't tried on that as well, but um, yeah. It's, it does something, some sort of uh, something similar to React Native. Compiles down mm -hmm. your code. You need to use uh, Xcode to compile for the iOS version, and then you have to use a certain UI components that are specific to uh, the platforms. So yeah, like uh, how React Native uh, compiles on UI components to divs and to that uh, Apple specific components, and then to Android specific components. Then you can just use them. It's something similar to that. Am I right in thinking that? It compiles to React Native, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, really? I guess uh, it does. I'm, I'm not sure though. Uh, I haven't really never heard of that, but I also never really read about the details. So yeah. <laughs> that would be new to me though. But I could be wrong. I, my my impression the last time I looked at uh, Vue Native was that you write it in Vue because you're a Vue developer. Yeah. It compiles it to React Native. Yeah, it compiles React Native. Compiles it. So to me, you're just like one more step away from from well, the actual. So weird. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, I see yeah. why they are doing it. Totally. I mean, it's I like, like people like writing programming languages. Yeah. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, they write a yeah. programming language and that is compiling to C so that you don't have to do the hard work. I mean, nowadays there's yeah. NLVM, but yeah, I, I see why, but it sounds so strange to me. Like Elliot. Have you tried WSM? WebSM. Yeah. Have you tried WebSemly? No. I haven't at all, but I really want to. Yeah, there has been a lot of discussion over that on Reddit. Uh, I saw some people using Rust, uh, but I haven't really tried. Uh, no, I, but I would like about WebAssembly. I'm sorry. Yes. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> I also have a cat okay. that is distracting me the whole time. It's really hard for me. <laughs> So I actually work a yeah. lot with Rust uh, if I can, but I didn't have anything paid for yet with Rust, unfortunately. So I would love to do more. Um, the problem with WebAssembly things for now is that they get still pretty big. So you still have quite a, I mean, nothing compared to a usual single page application yet. So it's still okay, but you have a pretty big bunch of code just for like, making it kind of work, especially if it's um, if it's pre um, cross compiled from Rust. Yeah, thank you. Please go. Finally. Ah, <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure how it would look in a bigger application. So you know, you would have to try that, of course. So maybe yeah. the overhead is not as big then anymore. But I heard uh, Rust had the smallest application footprint. Compared to like, uh, yeah, com compared to like, what is it? There's a TypeScript version where you can write TypeScript. Well, oh, that is possible. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but it has a much bigger uh, footprint, is my understanding. That Rust has one of the smallest footprints for WebAssembly. Okay, so if that is the smallest one, then I guess it's just not getting much better than that. Then you will just have to live with like a 200 something kilobyte package to start with. Wow. Yeah. So I guess it's only for big applications then. No, yeah. Just like a simple hello world is easy, 250 kilobytes or something. I'm not sure I would have to check again, but that's what I remember when I tried to write. I mean, I even hand written some WebAssembly just to try it out, just to see. Um, of course, you're not getting anywhere with this. Like, don't even try to do something complex with that. Um, but I wanted to try um, like some algorithm I wanted to do some performance testing and see the differences. So I hand wrote it in WebAssembly that took me ages, but was interesting at least. And I did it in Rust. The package size was like incredibly the difference, but the performance difference wasn't. There was basically no difference. So at least that is not a concern. Interesting. Did you see a significant performance improvement using WebAssembly over just native JavaScript? It depends a lot on what you're doing. What so you're if doing. you're doing it wrong, so especially if you communicate a lot forth and back, then it's getting much slower actually. Because mm -hmm. this whole translation from JavaScript world into the WebAssembly world is super slow still. I mean, it might be better by now because they planned lots of performance optimizations in that. Um, but back, back then, which is like half a year ago, it's not really long ago, um, it was, Super slow. So if I wrote an algorithm that would like do like each iteration 
to communicate back the result already, then it would be extremely slow compared to JavaScript, as in like 20 times slower or something. But if you would just put the whole loop and everything into WebAssembly and do everything there, it would be like three, two, three times faster than JavaScript. Maybe. So yeah, it's. And was some um, noise generation thingy, like Perlin noise or something. So it was a rather complex math. So it should be a good indicator. If you're doing like purely numerical, numerical stuff, it should be fast if you, if you do it right. Interesting. Yeah, um, I want to I wanna have a good use case um, and give it a shot sometime. Yeah, same here. But let's see if it comes one day. <laughs> I'm totally digging um, frameworks in Rust for now, like web frameworks. Uh, they go really, really well in the right direction for now, I think. But there's so much more to do before it is really useful. So let's see. Mm. One day. I would love to have something like that looks like Vue.js. You know, like you write an actual template and have some Rust code in a block and then maybe some CSS. You know, like single-file uh, components from Vue.js. That would be awesome. Nope, nothing there. Um, and I don't neither have the experience in Rust nor the time or mental energy to write something like this. So or to even know if it's possible. So I don't know. But that would be my my non plus ultra, let's say. Yigi, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. did you have any experience with um <laughs> No, right? No, Did you no, do no. anything at, from ADB, maybe? No, no. I don't I don't think so. I mean maybe no, 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 no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 okay. No. Okay. I I I mean I tried not not Rust, but like I tried played with Deno, which is yeah. based on Rust. And it's it's written Rust, yeah. Yeah, it's it's written, uh, and it's it's quite nice. I'm, I still have some <laughs> this this little package. I or not package like like small application for downloading some mm -hmm. stuff and zipping them together. But it's it's oh really, yeah right yeah 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 yeah, yeah yeah. I mean it's it's working kind of nice. I mean, and it it also forces you to to learn. At least for me, it forced me to learn TypeScript because this kind of the only way how you can use it. So I'm not sure if you can write. You can totally write normal JavaScript in there. I'm not sure. Just call the files.js and it should be fine with that. I mean, I probably no. yes. I mean, yeah, but no. yeah, that, but I. Kind of didn't have time to anything else. I'm, I, lo lots of I played like last month. I played with Strapi, which mm. is kind of based on. I think it's it's Node.js. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Think, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think it's yeah. It's it's based on on Node.js like this backend framework, and it's 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 really nice. I mean the 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 community for the Strapi is really good and like. It's it's growing also, mm. and uh, basically, I mean, you obviously you don't have like this 
kind of environment as like I don't know WordPress has, right? But like you don't have so much plugins, but for like the basic application, it's it's really good and as it's it's a kind of it's really easy to to up to kind of modify it for like for your needs. It kind of has kind of like in some ways it has kind of like Ruby on Rails feel. So you you can just write mode like modify your models and like like controllers and this kind of stuff. So you can you can also you can do lots of stuff there. But like if if you install it like from the scratch, it's it's working like immediately and you don't need to set up anything like special. And as I use it uh, for for uh, like Gridson front end, so it has also yeah. like yeah it the Strapi has like the 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 like the normal API like the REST API, but also it also like GraphQL API. So this it's you can use it like it's really easy to use it with with the Gridson or like Next or so it. Mm, nice. Yeah, I want to have a look at Strapi, but you know I want to have a look at. <laughs> so many. Uh, yeah. So Do you always use TypeScript on your project. Should I learn it as a Vue Junior developer? Uh, that is a tough question. So Stay I don't. Away from no. it. <laughs> I think that is a very opinionated answer. <laughs> so I think TypeScript is worth learning, but you don't have to. So. Have a look at it if you have interest. And I think you can learn something, especially if you are not, uh, you know, if you didn't program anything else yet. So if you don't come from a C or whatever language, uh, kind of Java, whatever background, then TypeScript might be a bit strange at first, especially, but it might give you a lot of opportunity to learn. So because they have a lot of nice concepts in there. And um, I think that is that is a valuable learning. Yeah, and um, in, in the end you will you will type everywhere any, and it's fine. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I heard it from the like, friends. So. <laughs> I have seen uh, this a lot that people who use TypeScript they are very opinionated about this. They would suggest it to each and every one that if you are not using TypeScript, you are doing something really wrong, and then <laughs> they just make you feel bad on Twitter and Reddit. If you're not doing TypeScript, you're just fucking your person off. I guess um, that's uh, where a lot of junior developers get the idea that um, should we learn TypeScript or not? And if, is it even necessary to use in our projects when JavaScript just works fine? But I guess a view three is written in TypeScript and uh, they are they have greatly improved the support for it. So yeah, that would so be nice. Trouble. Yeah, so much. Better. Using TypeScript in view two point six was a nightmare. According to so that's why I never really used it on large project. Uh, but I guess in Vue 3, I just really do. So when I give it a try, I'll maybe start using TypeScript for all of the projects. Yeah, yeah. It's the same for the next. We do support work lacking for um, TypeScript. So if you were using TypeScript, you just had to forgo V2. And if you use that a lot, it may be bugs. Yeah, I mean, this isn't a new thing. The idea that we would write a superset or a subset yeah. 
of JavaScript. It's like it's it's the it's the gift that keeps the idea that keeps on giving. You know, I mean, we had CoffeeScript back in the day. There yeah. was Dart was was one back in the day. There's um, I mean, just ASM in general, you know, which is a subset. But like, we keep trying to improve JavaScript by changing the language. Um, and in general, it hasn't panned out. And I think the first one that's got a chance at really modifying it is TypeScript. And that's only yeah. because these big libraries are adopting it. Hmm. Like, it, it sounds it sounds like a like a decision that Evan you probably made one night when he was trying to figure out how to improve TypeScript support. And he just was like, I just got to write the thing in TypeScript. And that decision makes it something that uh, might actually have a chance because, you know, and, and the same for React, the communities that are around those are so big, it has a chance to actually normalize it. Uh, but like view formula is a great example, right? View formula is written in JavaScript. Yeah. This is what I see as the downside. View formula is written in JavaScript. Um, if if you're just your run-of-the-mill TypeScript user and you come across you formulate and you're like, oh, these are these are like dope forms. I want to use them. Uh, I, I can't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I need I need all these other things in order to make that you know work well for my yeah. application. Um, what you're doing is effectively like limiting or narrowing down the number of things that are acceptable on your platform because you are taking a subset of the ecosystem. Um, and so that to me is the big negative is like, as a developer, you're just going to be more constrained to what you can use. But I think that will change. And I'm not, this is the only time I've ever thought that I've always like really poo pooed all of the, uh, you know, compilers or transpilers for JavaScript in the past because they just have not had the big wide uh, adoption that's required in order to make it work. And then things like Deno, you know, making it a first class citizen, although even there, they're really struggling to get the performance up. But, you know, making TypeScript something that has a native uh, runtime, there's hope, there is hope for TypeScript. But I would say- Native runtime would be awesome, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mateus? Yeah, I would say, Learn JavaScript first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. All of the, all of the, like, and same with Vue. Like, if you're not a, if you're not like pretty good with native JavaScript, I'd say, I'd say postpone learning Vue and postpone learning React, which is a controversial. This, I don't know if you guys like have seen these conversations on Twitter. A lot of people are like, it's totally cool to jump into React or Vue as a first-time developer. I absolutely I, disagree. Yeah, I, I disagree. Sorry, but, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, think it, I think it's dangerous. <laughs> and frankly, <laughs> I think the reason that uh, that has been like coming out as kind of an accepted way to do things is because that's what the boot camps and places like that churn you out. No. Like they need to make you profitable within six months. How are you going to do that? Well, you're not. It's impossible. That's how like you can't become you can't go from zero to hero in six months. Um, and going from zero to hero in six months using pure JavaScript, you sure as heck aren't going to be valuable. Um, but if you if you tack on like React or Vue as like the deliverable at the end of the day, you might you might be able to contribute. 
right? Like you might actually be able to contribute to some code bases if you spend six months learning React, even though you don't know where the edges and the boundaries are between React and JavaScript or things like that. Um, you might be able to contribute some code. It's just not a path to being a good developer. So like you might get a good job, <laughs> but at some point you've really got to learn the, the kind of the right way to do it. Yeah. It reminds me of like when Ruby on Rails was the hottest thing in the world. Absolutely. And good times. Nobody writes Ruby. Like there's <laughs> practically zero people that write Ruby, <laughs> but everybody wants to use Rails. And so people learned Ruby on Rails. And I think, I think to this day, a lot of people don't know where Ruby ends and where Rails starts. <laughs> Rob, uh, that's, I mean, the thing is with Ruby that it's an extra hard case here because Ruby makes it, uh, makes it possible to change literally everything in right. runtime. So even like the base types and everything. So you would never know what is coming from where if you don't know the packages that you did that, that you loaded. Yeah. And Rails is loading like a bunch of them. <laughs> so, um, yeah. That's actually my biggest criticism of, uh, about Ruby. Um, if I may just <laughs> jump in, but um, my biggest biggest criticism about this language is that you never know where something is coming from because it's, in my opinion, just too dynamic. You know, it's Sure, it, it, you have a lot of struggle if a language is very stiff, you know, rigid in, in this case that you can't change things very well or so. But if you can just change literally everything from everywhere, a bit like in JavaScript, but in Ruby even more so, then you never know where something is coming from. And you might get used to stuff that is actually just an extension or uh, it's just you know, someone wants to change things in the core language at some point, but they can't because there were just some packages that are used out there. Yeah. So they cannot just put it. all these problems that come with this. I don't know. I, I, I don't it, think that it's a good idea. Yeah, so that's that would be my caution to people who are learning uh, Vue and JavaScript and all that stuff at the same time. Is if you learn if you start by learning TypeScript, TypeScript is a superset, so it has a lot of features in it that don't exist in JavaScript. You know, decorators and whatnot. They might someday, but they don't now. And so you actually will have a harder time than when you need to just write JavaScript, which I promise you will have to do, <laughs> guaranteed. And even like uh, if they are doing it in a bootcamp. How does one go six months writing just React or Vue without actually learning a lot of JavaScript? Like you cannot really go without actually learning JavaScript. So I guess uh, even if they start learning just the framework, they have to catch up with JavaScript at one point or the other. And this is where like uh, a lot of frameworks like Tizar and Beautify make things hard for them because they are basically removing the JavaScript portion of the uh, framework, and you just have to use these components that are pre-built, maybe style them with CSS, and you're good to go. And then yep. when, when your app blows up, you have slow performance. You don't know what's breaking. You don't know how to debug. That becomes an interesting space. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you do see JavaScript well, React developers that don't really know JavaScript pretty yeah. frequently 
particularly in like I think in React maybe even more than Vue, which I, I don't want that to yeah. sound unfair. But uh, just the way that it mixes JSX into yeah, JavaScript makes it feel I don't know. It's it's not like everything inside the script block in Vue is just JavaScript. Yeah. There's actually nothing special in there. In React, there's actually a lot of special sauce happening. I mean, even hooks, like the the concept yeah. of hooks is is really you know that's it, there's a ma there's magic happening there, um, you know, based on the the call order and stuff like that, which is not it technically is JavaScript, but is you know is is such a special set of it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's also my problem. Even the way uh, you write CSS is, in that also like really oh. doesn't make sense. So people who are learning just React, they don't really know CSS that well as well, and so you end up with not knowing CSS, not knowing JavaScript, but you have a job and you are a developer, so that's kind of nice. <laughs> it is nice. Hey, I, I'm not against anybody going and getting a job. Good, like, go get a job, good for you, especially now. Go get yeah. yourself a job. <laughs> but, but you will learn on a job. <laughs> yeah. But then you have to spend years and years working on the same job, and then you someday decide on learning JavaScript again, and you have to st start from scratch anyway. So you sort of lose. A lot of valuable experience that you have would have gained more from if you had known basic CSS and JavaScript from the beginning. So, yeah, yeah. maybe that's uh, maybe that's where some of the partisanship in front is that is that word translate well? Do you guys know partisanship? The like everybody taking their sides. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of that, and like I don't, I actually don't feel that strongly about it. Like I really like Vue, but if I had to use React every day, okay. <laughs> like it would be okay. Like I, I'm not happy about it, but uh, it's just JavaScript. You know? Yeah. But I think if you if you're like born and raised on React and that's all you know, <laughs> and somebody tells yeah, you you got to go use something else, now you're now you're an angry person. You know. <laughs> Yeah, the, my problem with using React would be <laughs> sometimes, really, only sometimes. Okay, uh, <laughs> but my biggest problem with using React would be that they tend to put, as as you already said, they they tend to put everything into JavaScript, like CSS yeah. and HTML and everything with JSX. Everything is kind of somehow translated and retranslated and transpiled and whatever from something into JavaScript into whatever it will be in the end in the browser. And I find this a really, really weird thing because I, first of all, I think it was a very good idea to have this separation of concerns in three languages, you know, and have one language for styling, markup and logic. And they just break this whole idea. And then I also think it breaks a lot of ideas, you know, especially to new developers who jump into this React world and learn all the React stuff and think React is yeah. the holy grail. Let's come back to that one. And uh, then uh, they don't really understand the ideas behind all those languages and wonder why they have to do this style module stuff and so on. And that it, I think it just narrows down also their possibilities to, to not only learning, but also to understanding problems or to, to um, approaching problems. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my biggest criticism with React is Facebook. 
Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I'm actually worried. Like, I'm more confident that Evan and the open source community will keep you going uh, than I am React. Like, what is what is React to Facebook? It's just, I mean, it's important to, to them, but like, they could drop they could drop it tomorrow. Google yeah, if, has done. If they find something new, then they would just dump it immediately. Yeah, oh, it's out of here. It's such a small thing for them, and so building my entire life on it is a little bit. Yeah, that's a little bit scary. Which is, but I have... which is also funny because most people say the opposite, right? They say, oh, but there's Facebook behind it. So how awesome yeah. is that, right? Yeah, I don't care. Uh, I am curious, though. Uh, I think in America, React is very dominant. Very, very dominant. Um, I'd say the view usage is, is quite low compared to React usage for developers. But my sense is this is not true. This is not the same around the world. Um, you know, even in View Formulate, uh, when I look at like where users are coming from, it's it's everywhere in the world. Uh, incredibly diverse community. Incredibly diverse. What is your you guys who are not in the United States? What is your like? Why were you attracted to View as opposed to React? Why why are all of the Americans going for React. <laughs> I don't understand. Help me understand. View is really popular uh, in Asia, though. Like uh, a lot of Chinese, and uh, you move to Southeast Asia, practically everyone is using View. So you see a lot of uh, people coming up with a lot of job hosting in uh, Philippines and um, the lower part of the Asia. So um, that's really uh, great. It's mostly because uh, of event and it's presence in China and people yeah. basically treat him as a god over there. So that's really that's great true. and that works for them. Yeah, it's, it's really true. So yeah. yeah, and but still I feel that uh, as far as India is concerned, there's a lot of React usage, somewhat similar to US. And um, one of the reasons for that is because a lot of businesses are uh, maybe outsourcing their stuff to the US and they are using React. So they end up using React as well. Otherwise, uh, it, a lot of companies that are in the US have their offices in India. So you have Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Atlassian, and a lot of big companies that are using React. And they have thousands of employees, tens of thousands of employees in India. And they move companies, so they end up using React as well. So a lot of billion-dollar startups that we have here in India, they're using React for the primary reason, because one of their co-founders was working in a fan company, and they were using React there. So they ended up using it here as well. And that is. Um, yeah, that is pretty much why everyone is using React everywhere, according to me. <laughs> yeah, the, the view, why Vue.js is so strong in China, of course, uh, even uh, is has like a, a Chinese roots, roots is the word. Yeah. Uh, but it's also that there is, or there was right from the beginning, Chinese documentation in UJS, which is not the case for most of the frameworks, especially for the bigger ones, because they're all just English and they're just settled, right? Mm -hmm. like I said, like we have English documentation, everyone will understand. And that's very unrealistic approach, of course. So that helped a lot. <clears throat> yeah, this whole Godhood thing is another one right now. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think in Germany, it's pretty much the same as in the US. Mm. React is very strong. Or you find Angular 2, or like five or six or whatever they have by now, but this not AngularJS, uh, because people just do large business, corporate, blah, blah, blah. So. 
So, so React is is it's a false perception of mine that that view is more popular in the rest of the world. It's just that the rest of the world is really big. <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, China is pretty big, right? So. Yeah. China's I guess most of the stars come from China because uh, even though Vue has a lot more stars than React, we don't really see a lot of job opportunities opening up for Vue. Mm -hmm. Even contracts opening up for Vue. But uh, with, if you're working with Vue, like I have been for the past few years, you get that sort of exclusivity that if uh, this guy has been working for so long, he knows what he has to do. And you don't really have to fight a lot for contracts and jobs when you're working with you. So you get that exclusivity. Yeah. But it's two-way. Yeah. There are less jobs and uh, less stuff. Yeah. I guess Apple yeah. Apple started using users. And they are uh, doing the media portion of uh, their company. I guess uh, one of their advertisements were with you. So yeah, Apple is yeah. really pushing. That's pretty cool. It'd be great to get one of those big companies to yeah, stream that view. I mean, yeah. um, companies like GitLab and so on are using Vue as well, right? And lots of like medium to already biggish companies are using Vue.js. So I think it's really, really coming strong. Yeah. Um, I worked on a project with Voxhacker. Uh, we used uh, Vue over there. It was through an uh, agency, so I was subcontracting. Um, but um, like it was really cool. Um, it was mostly because uh, it was a request for proposal, so we were making building that stuff out for them. But uh, it got uh, shortly dropped off because of COVID, so it's on pause now. But uh, when we were building that, so we had the whole control for the project. So we were using Vue and Tailwind over there. It was going really well. So yeah, big companies are pitching for Vue as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it was the same like. In, in, for example, I, I, as I know in, in Czech Republic, it's because it's really based like there is lots of like PHP developers there. Like this was yeah. most like the only code, only programming language in the past. Then uh, they lots of people are going from like combination Laravel with Vue.js yeah. right now because it's like the, the most hype thing. And you have yeah, like really yeah. pretty big base of PHP developers. So if they are mm -hmm. going to Laravel, it's automatically because I think they are using it like the yeah. default. Default. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. So that was definitely a huge push for Vue.js when yeah. Laravel decided yeah. to make Vue.js. That, that is how Vue blew up in the starting. And one of the downsides of uh, like this is when people are looking for Vue developers, they're looking for someone who has experience with Laravel as well. And I don't, and that works against me. Well, that's too bad because I am really not a fan of PHP. <laughs> so yeah, I, I never worked with PHP. I have been a Jawsip guy. So, yeah. really sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the way, you, uh, way uh, like, uh, Laravel works is that if you're using Laravel, I guess you have to do everything the Laravel way. They don't use Webpack, so you have Laravel mix for uh, mm. bundling the packages. And then you uh, write a uh, view within the context of Laravel. So maybe, yeah. I don't know, I haven't really used that, but it didn't really struck us very interesting to me. I've used, I've used Laravel plenty. And what I do when I start a Laravel project is I take Laravel mix and I throw it in the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the same as I, I would do with Ruby on Rails with this whole yeah. topo links and whatever they have there. All this is just like, because yeah. 
Yeah. It can do yeah. Better. I don't think I don't think anybody likes PHP. Uh, but people like Laravel. <laughs> I say yeah. a lot. Wrote, wrote a really good framework. So fair enough. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think we will we will slowly wrap it up, I guess. Just like for for the for the last I last like couple of minutes. What's what's your currently like favorite TV show? Oh, what a jump. <laughs> Just you. Mm. What you are watching um, right now? I watched uh, Dracula, I guess last month. That was really nice. And then I uh, sort of hit a repeat on The Office. The <laughs> Office always cracks me up. <laughs> and then maybe, yeah, mostly Office, um, How I Met Your Mother, and South Park sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Silicon Valley was really exciting. Time. It came to an end, though. Yeah. It, it, it's for me. It's it's really weird. Like everyone is telling, like that, like if they are watching Netflix and like chilling and everything. But I actually <laughs> didn't <laughs> didn't have time to do anything. But Same here. yeah. <laughs> I mean, what? Yeah, I did. Uh, uh, for all mankind, which is on Apple Plus. Yeah. And I've like not heard anybody talk about it, but it's pretty interesting. It's the it's the moon landing in 1969, but the Soviets landed instead of the Americans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so oh, it, I heard of that one. Yeah, it's an interesting idea because, like, what would have actually happened? And what would have probably actually happened is the space race wouldn't have ended, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because it's kind of like you know the Russians had already beat the Americans so many times, uh, with so many firsts going into space, and they just kept being like, "Well, we'll we'll make the goal over there," you know, "Well, we'll make the goal over there," and so yeah, exactly. landed, and it's like, okay, well now we'll beat you at whatever the next thing is, and so it's basically just like, what would have happened if the space race hadn't ended? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Basically, yeah, yeah, it's true. I I watch on on, on Apple TV Plus the what's the the Mythic Quest. TV show, yeah, it's it's really nice. I mean, it's it's really yeah. kind of a specific humor, but I think I, I watch right. it like twice the whole whole season. Like I think it's like ten episodes, and you need to kind of I don't know grow it inside you because it's like it's a really specific Mythic like West. what Mythic West Mythic Quest, yeah. Meeting West. Yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. It's it's yeah it's yeah. it's on Apple TV Plus. It's still one of the. Oh. Yeah. So it's it's. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's really nice and. I. Yeah. I actually uh, bought Apple TV Plus, but I never really used that because most of the movies and uh, shows that I searched for, uh, you have to pay extra for them. Uh, I guess uh, after the subscription as well, so that really uh, didn't uh, work for me. And uh, apart from uh, the uh, shows, mainstream shows, the shows that they had weren't really interesting. So that's why I didn't use them. Yeah. But um, what is it called again? Uh, Meeting West? Yeah, Myth Mythic Quest. Yeah, it's okay. like about the game development. Okay, okay, Mythic West. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I last year I bought uh, iPhone 11, so I get the one year subscription for free for, yeah. from Sony. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Well, okay, okay. this is cool. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, they only uh, not every game. person. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, as you meant uh, this, like this, uh, this was the two, two kind, two mankind, two mankind. Yeah, there's two, yeah. yeah for all mankind. Yeah, yeah for mankind. On on the Netflix, there is a like the Space Force. Did did you saw that? Did you see it? Yeah, I watched that. <laughs> That's I mean, I, I, my my ridiculous meter just exploded when I just saw the title, so I didn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's really. I don't know. It's kind of funny. It was, I mean. it, was ter it was a terrible show, but yeah, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's okay. terrible, but yeah, it's like, it's like it was like they were trying to recreate the office dynamic. Yeah. And totally failed. Yeah. It completely oh. failed. And, and so <laughs> it's, it's actually just embarrassing the whole way through, but it's kind of funny because of that. And yeah, because of the this <laughs> okay. totally awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I actually started watching um, Midnight Gospels, I think it's called in English. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's on Netflix also, right? Yes, it's on Netflix, and it's it's um, the podcast thing. Range exactly. It's like a podcast. It's really weird. but in comic form. Yeah, it's pretty. And... Yeah, I, I saw that. I saw like three three episodes, and it's yeah. it's weird, but like weird is the right word, definitely. But, yeah. but awesome. it's great somehow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a bit. Uh, it's not easy going so yeah. um you need to focus so, on that it's really because yeah exactly lots of things that are happening and it's like yeah lots of transformation so you see the, also yeah you see the strangest things like in picture you see the strangest mm -hmm. things but on the same side they talk about like life and drugs yeah. and people yeah. opinions and god and jesus uh, <laughs> that's i think the second episode stuff like this why are they just meshed to lumps and stuff and yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird it's really strange but it's totally worth it in my opinion yeah 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 i agree oh. yeah i agree yeah yeah i think okay guys we, we can we can wrap it up for 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 today okay yeah uh thank you just nice yeah thank you thank, thank you, you yeah. get some sleep everybody yeah have a good night it's really great talking or to you. evening or afternoon i don't know <laughs> depending on where you are yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 okay thank you guys uh, thank you okay. bye bye, bye, -bye. bye, -bye. yeah